Take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. We're going to read this morning two portions from the book of Romans. We're going to read first from Romans 5, and then we'll uh, skip over to chapter 8. So Romans chapter 5, we'll read the first five verses. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Whom he has given us. Then turn over to Romans chapter 8. We'll read verses 17 through 25. 817. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite hymns has the line, of what we find in our God of hope, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. More and more people are losing hope in our land. Their hopes for a bright tomorrow are dimming. Indeed, many of their hopes have been dashed by any number of things. I had a dozen or so to just run by you, but I don't need to tell you. You live in the same world I live in. You you hear the news The world is a hopeless place and people are losing hope. And one of the telltale signs of hopelessness is the rise of deaths of despair, as they're called, suicide and overdoses. 
A doctor of the John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek, California, claimed that the facility has seen a a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. Calls to crisis hotlines are exceeding anything we've known before. The Center for Disease uh, Control Director, Robert Redfield, reported that the increase in suicides and drug overdoses among high school students uh, has reached new levels, uh, even during this present pandemic. Indeed, the, the, the Bremen Public School is asking us to vote yes on November 3rd for a measure that will enable them to hire counselors to deal with this anxiety and despair that's found in high school students. It's not just that life is so difficult, but worse than that, that the hope of it ever getting better is so low, that the future is so bleak that they'd rather that die than live it. Hope is slipping away. Now, now people can endure a lot if they have hope of a better tomorrow. But when hope is gone, endurance is at the end too. The Austrian Viktor Frankl was a leading doctor in Europe, but because he was a Jew from 1942 to 1945, he was imprisoned in Auschwitz and three other Nazi concentration camps And he witnessed horror firsthand. And he noticed something. He he saw people, some people dying and others surviving, and he noted the difference that hope made in the two. Those who held on to the hope of a future beyond the barbed wire had incredible endurance. While those who lost all hope soon caved in to death. They just gave up the will to live. And what Frankel observed in the physical realm, the Apostle Paul observed in the spiritual realm of the Thessalonian church. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we, we always thank God for all of you, remembering your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Hope is a critical grace for the Christian life. And we're going to see in this uh, group of sermons on hope how that it strengthens your endurance to persevere in holiness. It enables you to go on saying no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. It affects your emotional health. It, it Cures despair with encouragement. It gives deep happiness and joy. It keeps you from grieving like others who have no hope. It's an anchor for your soul's security and peace and rest. It enables you to be patient under trials. And gives you a bold confidence in witness and even in life itself. And enables you to face death and judgment with confidence. Hope. We simply don't live well without it. So we've come at last in these, the study of four Christian graces to hope the great motivator. And I want to begin with a simple definition of biblical hope. I'm not sure where it originated, but I know this. It was culled from the Holy Scriptures. Study all the passages on hope, and this is what you find that hope is. It may be more, but it's not less. 
And so I give you this definition of hope. If we could have it on the overhead, there it is. The confident expectation of future good. Six words. Say them with me. The confident expectation of future good. Say it again. The confident expectation of future good. Now say it with your eyes closed. The confident expectation of future good. That's the hope that we're talking about that's revealed in the Bible. And I want you to notice two things about that that definition. uh, Because... Uh, We're going to keep bumping into these two points as we go through the scriptures then that teach about hope. And uh, those two things that we see in our definition is hope's certainty, it's, it's certain, and hope's future orientation, secondly. It's forward looking. Now let's look first at hope's certainty. Hope is certain. As soon as we start talking and thinking about hope, it, it quickly becomes apparent that there are two kinds of hope. There's worldly hope and then there's biblical hope. And we must know the difference lest we be confused. One is little more than a desire. We really want something to happen. The world's hope. The other, biblical hope, is a certainty. And it is confidently expected. It's the confident expectation of future good. So there is a hope of the world that's a hope so thing, and the Bible acknowledges that. So someone asks you, will President Trump win the re-election? Win re-election. And you say, well, given the alternatives, I hope so. I hope. That's all you can say. Or I say, uh, will you have good weather for your outdoor wedding next May? Oh, I sure hope so. But these things are uncertain, aren't they? And so we say, I hope so. And so the popular use of this word hope today has lost its certainty. The confident expectation, its certainty is gone from its use. But not so in the Bible. The believer's hope is not a hope so thing. It's a no so thing. And that's something Uh, It's something we're more certain about than that we will be here tomorrow. The reason we can be so sure of future good is because of the foundation of our hope, what it's built upon. You see, hopes are like houses. Some have strong foundations, others don't. And so there are ungrounded hopes as well as well-grounded hopes. There are false hopes as well as true hopes. There are hopes that disappoint and hopes that never disappoint. And the foundation makes all the difference between a hope that can be dashed and the one that never can be. So, for instance, I have a certain hope that when I stand at last before my maker in judgment, that the Lord Jesus will say to me, Come, you who have been blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you since before the creation of the world. I say, I'm certain of good in that day. And you say, well, how can you be so sure? Why is my hope so sure and and confident and certain? Because my hope is built 
on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now you can have a sure hope if it's built upon a sure foundation, like God's word, like the promises of God, who cannot lie. Because he said it, you're on solid ground and your hope is sure. Because whatever he says, he will do without fail. So you build your hope on the promises of God and you can come to your deathbed with absolute certainty that for you to die will be gain. That to depart from life is to be present with the Lord, which is better by far. You can know that for sure, as sure as you're sitting there right now. Because it's grounded upon a firm foundation, the very word of a God who cannot lie. So if you have a promise then from this faithful God of truth, and no matter how bad the present circumstances may be, you have solid grounds for confident expectation of future good. But an ungrounded hope, it's like a hope just floating on thin air. There's no no strong foundation uh, in reality, in certainties to hold it up. So maybe all of her life Susie dreamed of a wedding in May. And in her dream, the sun was always shining, and the birds were always singing, and The guests were always happy and her bridegroom was up front smiling and as she walked down the aisle, her dress just glistened in the sunshine. And so she's sure, she's confident because she's had this dream repeatedly over her life. She's absolutely certain and confidently expecting a beautiful day in May for her wedding. But living in northern Indiana, there's a good chance that Susie's hopes could be dashed. So mother probably ought to have a plan B just in case. Now in that illustration, I suppose the worst thing that could happen to Susie is a wet wedding. But when we come to talking about what our hopes for eternal life are in, the stakes have just gone infinitely through the roof. Because now we're talking about where you will be one day forever. Just as you're here this morning, conscious body and soul, where you will be, body and soul, conscious forever and ever, either in heaven or in hell. And that's why the stakes of, well, what are your hopes grounded on becomes everything. All so important as to whether or not your hope is true or false. So I ask you, are you going to heaven when you die? Absolutely. Couldn't be more confident of it. Could I ask you what your hope is grounded on? Why your certainty is is so sure? Why will God let you into his heaven? Well, I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments, and I try to live by the golden rule and be kind to others, and... I was baptized, I, I go to church, I, I read my Bible, I pray. And I must tell you, that's a hope that's built on your own works rather than Christ's. 
So it will not stand in the day of judgment, no matter how confident you may be of it. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that there will be many who only after death will find out that their confident hopes were false hopes. And so their hopes will be dashed, but it will be forever too late. The Bible warns us from beginning to end about false hopes. So as we're studying hope, we must be sure that we understand what makes for a true hope and a false hope. It seems that for every true prophet in Israel, in the Old Testament, we find a false prophet. Every true prophet that that brought to the people the very word of God, there was a false prophet who brought the lies of the devil in the name of the Lord our God. So, Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. There it is. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And they say to those who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts, No harm will come to you. God was saying through his true prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. He was saying, your sins have been your downfall. They're leading you to judgment and condemnation. So repent, turn away from your sins and live. Because if you keep going, you will be damned and lost. That was the true message from the prophets from God, who spoke the word of God. But the false prophet said, no, no, God is saying, peace, peace. God is saying, all is well, no problem between you and me. And, and the people chose the message they liked best, which, of course, was the false prophet's message. They didn't have to give up their beloved sins. But it was a false hope. Man's hoping so doesn't make it so, as they soon discovered. Jeremiah 8, 15, we hope for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there was only terror. Proverbs 10, 28, the hopes of the wicked, they come to nothing. They shatter, they wither, they die. And so Paul tells Timothy to command the rich not to put their hopes in riches. Why? Because they're so uncertain. They can sprout wings and just fly away. Just that quick. Don't put your hope in riches which are so uncertain, but, put to, but tell them to put their hope in God. There it is. Now there's a reason for certainty. Hopes that never disappoint our hopes in God. David said so in Psalm 23, 25.3, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, ever, not in this life or the next. And God himself speaks in Isaiah 49.23, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You'll never get to the place where you say, why in the world did I ever put my hope in God? I regret that. Oh, how many will regret the fact that they put their hope in riches, in themselves, in religion, in people, and 
a host of other things, but not in God. No, a well-grounded hope is a biblical hope. It's built on God and his promises, and so it's a certain hope. Uh, The second part of the definition I want to point to is hope's future orientation. The fact that hope is futuristic. It's forward-looking. That's the direction of hope. Uh, That's clear from the definition. We're talking about what kind of good? Future good. We're not talking about past good. We're talking about future good. And we're talking about expectation. If we expect something, is it past or future? Danae Sarber, who we said, was expecting. She was expecting a baby. It wasn't here yet. And so expectation points forward. Hope is a forward-looking grace. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 shows an interesting relationship between faith and hope. Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we cannot see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Hope is a species of faith. Just as there's some, uh, not all beetles are the same. There's three, over 350,000 species of beetles in that larger family of beetles. So not all faith, or or, or some faith, has this species of hope. It's a kind of faith. Uh, It's a forward-looking faith. It's faith in future things. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. So not all faith is forward-looking. Some faith is backward-looking, isn't it? Um, it, It just lays hold of unseen things without reference to time. Faith is being certain of what we cannot see. Some faith uh, might be actually backward-looking to, to events in the past. By faith, we believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, we look back and we believe. We take God at his word. But some faith is forward-looking. And it's counting on something to happen. That's hope. Forward-looking faith is hope. Faith in future grace is hope. So hope has to do with the future. Now, when I say it has to do with the future, it might be the future as soon as three minutes when I'm facing something and I need grace to get through the next three minutes, that, that problem in the next three minutes. Or it might be something, a deadline three weeks from now. It's forward-looking, whether the next moment, a long time off, it reaches into three billion years into the future of where I will be and what I will be doing. Hope. But it's all forward-looking. Hope's orientation to the future is seen in the passage that Pastor Jason read for us from Romans chapter 8. The creation is hoping, we're told. The creation is waiting in eager expectation for something future. What is it? What is it that the the creation is on tiptoe expectation to see happen? It's for the sons of God to be revealed when we will share in God's glory. That's still hidden 
That's not been seen yet by the world. The world's not saying, wow, look at them. They're Christians. They're, they're believers in Jesus Christ. No, but a day is coming when we will be revealed and share in the glory of God in Christ. That's forward-looking. And, and the creation is confidently expecting, eagerly expecting and longing for that day to come. Why? Because when the sons of God are being revealed, they themselves will receive future good. They will be liberated from the present bondage to decay and frustration that creation is under due to the curse. It will be set free and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So when the children of God are blessed with future good, the creation itself will be blessed with future good. And then Paul says, we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, are Waiting eagerly for that day. Why? Because it will mean the redemption of our bodies. These bodies will be raised in glory and power and immortality. So we too are looking forward to that future good. And then we have these words in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 8. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen. It's no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? Kids, are you hoping for something you already have? No. That's stupid. You don't hope. And that's what Paul says. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope gives us patience to wait for what is coming. And so this passage clearly teaches us. We were saved in hope. Uh, It it clearly teaches that uh, some parts of salvation we already have and some parts we're still waiting for. So what do we already have? Well, we're justified. We we read it in Romans 8, Romans 5. The moment we place faith in Jesus Christ, we were justified. We, We were at peace with God. All of our sins were put to his account and all of his righteousness to ours. We were declared righteous. We have that right now. Justification is ours. We don't have to hope for it. Who hopes for what he already has? What else is ours in salvation? Freedom from the bondage and reign of sin. Sin used to have me by the nose and I went wherever it told me to go. And I thought I was doing my own thing and doing what I want. But all the while I was being led astray by the devil. And in grace, Jesus set me free. The truth will set you free. And I've been freed from sin's bondage, from its reigning power in my life. Am I hoping for that? No, not at all. I already have it. Whoever hopes for what he already has. What else? Many other blessings. Adoption. I'm in the family of God already. I'm not hoping for that. I already have that. But there are other aspects of this so great salvation that we don't already possess. And for these we hope. Like one day bearing the moral likeness of Jesus Christ to perfection. Like like one day having no temptation arise from my heart at every step to oppose my advance in holiness. To feel that pushback and pullback of the flesh that doesn't want to go there. One day I'll be free from that. And, And whatever God says, I will freely and gladly do without any gravitational pull of sin that's left in my heart. 
It's not raining there. Present reality, freedom from its rain. But it's remaining there. And my struggle is something I'm, I'm anticipating, looking forward to, to losing forever. A resurrection body without anything of mortality hanging around in my body. Never get tired, weary, die. A new environment, whole new world order, the home of righteousness where everybody loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength and everybody loves one another as themselves. Well, these things haven't arrived yet. And so we hope for them. We hope for them. And if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, hope gives me patience to wait. Why? Because I know it's coming. It's a certainty. It's confident. I know it's going to be mine, so I can go through a few trials to get to that glorious day, that future good that will be mine. You found that, haven't you? Waiting takes patience. Steve, (laughs) can't work, can't work, got to lay here. All sorts of things we're waiting for. And it takes patience. And that's not a suit we're strong in. And it's especially difficult when we're suffering heavy trials and afflictions that show no sign of letting up. It's especially difficult when your present body is hurting and and damaged and diseased and dying It's especially difficult when sin and temptation continues to plague you and fight you every inch of the way to heaven. It's hard when the world around you is going from bad to worse. And it's then that hope lays hold of the future good promised to us in God's word. Now, that future good may be grace for the very next moment to survive another hour. It it might be glory that is coming, but it's future good, future grace, future glory. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And it's that hope that gives us endurance to patiently wait, faithfully following our Lord Jesus. So hope is certain. Hope is futuristic. And in our studies, we're going to keep bumping into that those two uh, elements. Let me just speak briefly to the fact that hope's main acti- of hope's main activity. Remember, we've, we've talked about the main activity of humility. It's the great emptier, faith, the great receiver, love, the great giver. Well, hum- uh, uh, hope is the great what? Motivator. Motivational speakers make a ton of money if they're good at it. Tens of thousands of dollars for for 45 minutes to an hour. Just for talking. But, But talking in such a way that inspires and motivates and stirs the people who are listening. If they can motivate a group of workers, the business will profit greatly for whatever they paid for that speaker. If they can motivate you to improve your skills and abilities, it will profit you in whatever career you're in and will be worth far more than the cost of that weekend seminar. Even so, hope is the great motivator. The great motivator. It's a stimulating grace to get us up and going, to keep us going, to quicken and revive us. The great work of hope.
And by the way, that's God's reason for promising good things ahead of time. Have you ever wondered, why does God tell us about the good things that he's planning to do for us? Why doesn't he just surprise us? Unannounced. Why doesn't he just let us run this race of the Christian life without any knowledge of heaven and then just surprise us with heaven at the end of our race? Or why doesn't he just surprise us with the sufficient grace that we need rather than tell us that his grace will be sufficient for us? Well, it's to give us hope as we wait. I don't have what I need and I don't have what I'm hoping for, but he's promised it. And so I can wait for it and I can continue to trust him for it. It inspires me. It motivates me to stay in the race when everything says, quit, John. Just give it all up. It's easier than fighting sin. Just quit fighting it. And yet this hope just keeps motivating me. Don't quit, John. Don't quit. Look look what's coming. Look what I've promised you. It's the great motivator to go on living the Christian life in humility and love and faith and repentance and joy and peace and obedience and faithfulness all the way to the end of our lives. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hope is the great motivator. Now, brothers and sisters, these are indeed challenging days in which we live out the Christian life. It's filled with troubles and threats that would steal our hope. And so we must keep hope alive and well. We can't afford to lose hope. We can't even afford to have it weakened. As the troubles of this life increase, we need to have hope increase. So I'm going to be challenging you to be growing in this grace of hope. And I want to finish with Romans 15 and verse 13. We were in Romans 5, Romans 8, and... Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. This is my prayer for you as we study this topic. Romans 15, 13. I trust you'll be able to look at it there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the reason Christians are a people of hope. We have a God of hope. What a name. That, that, that defines him. It tells us what kind. He's not a pessimistic God. Not at all. He's a God of hope. Every last bit of hope in the universe comes from him. He's the God of hope. And if he is the God of hope, then to be without God in the world is to be without hope. And that's exactly what Ephesians 2.12 reminds us, Christians, that once... When we were far from God and had not yet come near to him through faith in the blood of Jesus, we too were without God in the world and without hope. Oh, but now, with God in this troubled world, we have hope. He is our hope. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.1, Jesus, our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here in Romans 15, 13, the Holy Spirit's the one who makes you overflow with hope. 
And that's why the people of God have hope in this present evil world. Because our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the God of hope. Now, notice in Romans 15, 13, there's something for you to do and there's something for God to do. Did you see it? See if you can pull them out. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you to do? You're to trust in him. And as you do, what is there for God to do? Well, to fill you with all joy and peace and overflowing hope. So you trusting him and him filling you to overflowing with hope. Hope is contagious. You're around people of hope, reminding you of that, those sweet promises of hope, of the God of hope. Your hope rises when you're with those people. But despair is contagious too. Just witness the ten spies that went into the promised land and came back with a pessimistic report. And pretty soon that report spread through the whole camp to where they no longer trusted and obeyed God. And it led to 40 more years in the wilderness and everyone 18 years old and up dying in the desert, not entering the promised land. Hope is contagious. Despair is contagious. So who are you hanging out with? Are you spending time with hopeless people, with hopeless words or or with people of hope with the heart cheering promises of the God of hope are you hanging out with the God of hope himself if so it'll rub off on you where would you meet this God of hope what are the paths in which this God of hope is appointed to meet with his people well it's in worship where he inhabits the praises of his people where two or three are gathered in his name that he is present. And you draw near to this God of hope and you sing praises to him as we've done this morning and our hope rises. You meet him in prayer where you speak person to person with the God of hope. You don't come away from an interview, a talk like that, without something of that hope. You meet him in his word where the God of hope speaks directly to you. By his spirit. The word preached. The word read. The word memorized. The word meditated on. Just just glance up to verse 4. Chapter 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written for what purpose? To teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. This is a book that was written that we, the people of God, might have hope. It's a hope-building book. As here we meet the God of hope and his words of hope. Don't expect to be overflowing with hope if you're spending more time listening to the doom and gloom news than you are with the God of hope and his word in prayer. Just don't even expect to be a person of hope. No, no. We can face the bad news if we're saturated in the good news, but not otherwise. It's as you trust in him, the God of hope, and that grows as you're walking with him in prayer and the word and worship, that that your trust in him grows and the spirit of God works this overflowing hope in your heart. 
Let me just give you one example how this hope works. As you come to the scriptures, one of the truths you'll bump into is that God is sovereign. He's king over all. He's on his throne. He's reigning. And that reign cannot be thwarted. His purposes have been made from all eternity, his plan, and he's working out everything according to his will. Oh, but what if a king gets in his way? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he wills. He is working out everything according to the purpose of his will. He thwarts the purposes of the nations and foils the purposes of the people, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. What does that tell me? tells me that everything I heard on the news this week was on the plan. It's every detail. It's, it's right on time. Everything's, everything's in place. You see. There's, nothing, there's nothing out of place. God is ruling. God is reigning. Even as we sang, heard from Psalm 2, he's not threatened. Ooh. Elections will go as he's decreed. The weather in May will be just what he ordered. And what does knowing this truth about my God of hope, who's sovereign, do for my... What does it do to me? Well, it fills me with hope. It actually does more than that. It makes me overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit as I meditate on it, as I pray it in, and as I focus upon it. Then then when I hear the bad news, well, I'm not sunk by it. Because I've got future good that I can be absolutely confident about. Jeff Thomas said, our God reigns. And that is the shortest bridge between despair and hope. Are you in despair? Our God reigns. Get on that bridge and and find yourself hoping in God. I just add that the quickest way back to despair is to forget God in the midst of the bad stuff. To not see him. And that's why we need constantly to listen to him. Constantly to talk to him. Constantly to gather to praise and worship him. Hosea chapter 2 verse 15 says that God makes even the valley of trouble to become a door of hope. So even take a Christian down into the darkest valley and there will be a door opened. The door of hope. We read it in Romans 5. Suffering produces hope. The valley of trouble opens the door of hope. We can't trust in ourselves down here in the valley. We've got one hope, and it lifts our eyes to him. And lo and behold, it pulls us up out of the deeps. And we rejoice and have peace and overflowing hope. Do you know what God's plan has been? His plan is to take hope-filled people, believers, with the God of hope, and to put them in a hopeless world right alongside of hopeless people. That they might see, uh, what does one of God's people of hope look like in situations just like mine? And so, so God has taken one of his hopeful people, Jim Fisher, into the COVID uh, place there in the hospital. Right alongside of others. And doctors and nurses, so that they could see, well, what, how does a Christian, what happens to his hope in a time like that? God takes uh, dear loved ones from us in Christ that die and, and, and 
and wants other people who are losing uh, loved ones to see, well, what does it mean that, that they don't grieve like others that have no hope? And, and he wants to take people who are suffering injustice and mistreatment right alongside others who are suffering injustice and mistreatment and yet have such a hope in a world with no hope that would move them to ask a reason for the hope that you have. That's Peter's assumption in 1 Peter 3.15. Why would they ask a reason for the hope you have? It's because they've seen it. I'm in this world, and I don't have hope, but look at this hope that I find in you. Would you give me the reason? And that's why we must always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. But it also means that's why we must always have our hope in God so that it might be obvious to others who live around us. And then as we give that reason for the hope, we do it in respect and gentleness for the poor person who is without hope. You see, it's for the glory of God. We hope in him. So if you're lost this morning... This is the hope offered to you in Jesus Christ. Hope in life, hope in the very far future, your eternity. And if you are a child of God, and you know this God of hope through faith in Jesus Christ, hope is your birthright. It's your inheritance. Are you living up to your inheritance? May the Lord help us in these coming weeks. Let's pray. God of hope, fill us with the joy and peace that comes from believing And cause us, Holy Spirit, by your power to make us overflow in hope that a hopeless world might come to see and hear of our Savior and be saved and brought into that same glorious hope that we have in him, the hope of eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.